Hello and welcome to So How Do You, the podcast that's your little black book for interiors. I'm your host, Laura Jackson, and I'm going to be speaking to two guests in every episode who will give you both design, inspiration and practical know-how. When you think about concrete, your mind might take you to an industrial building site or give you visions of paving slabs. But what about a polished concrete floor or a kitchen worktop? Maybe a pink concrete basin or even a self-heating bath. Yes, you did hear that right. A self-heating concrete bath. Needless to say, we can get so creative with concrete and it can have the most beautiful finish. So to help us explore how to use concrete in our homes, I'm going to be chatting to Hannah Beaumont, who has the most gorgeous concrete floor in her kitchen. And then we'll be hearing from Andy Pedley, the creator of the aforementioned bath at his concrete company, The Poured Project. Right, let's get to it with Hannah first. Before we get into the podcast this week, I wanted to tell you about my wonderful sponsor, Wix, who you will hear more about over the series. I feel like they are the perfect fit, offering ideas and advice for making improvements to your home from helping to save energy, something I know we are all thinking about, to making small changes that make a big difference. Did you know that 25% of your home's heat is lost through a poorly insulated roof? Or that by switching to LED bulbs, you can save more money on your energy bills and help the planet at the same time? Now, I know that some of these jobs vary in ability and can sound scary, but with Wix, they guide you every step of the way. So rather than breaking the bank on a full refurb, focus on the smaller, more manageable jobs, like repainting your skirting boards for that bold statement rather than painting an entire room. Paint is the ideal place to start for a quick and easy transformation. Refreshing those tired, scuffed walls will reinvigorate your home while adding colour and bring a new level of style. Or maybe if you're feeling a bit adventurous, then you could tile your fireplace for a really cost-effective way to transform a room and create a focal point. Now, if that's sounding like too much, start small, build up your skills. You can really achieve great results with small tweaks, such as just changing your door handles. You don't have to swap out the whole kitchen sink, but those bathroom taps might be in need of replacing. Follow along as we cover this and so much more in this series. For more information on how to get started, visit wix.co.uk. A poured concrete floor has become a very popular way to use concrete at home and an option that Hannah Bowman and her partner decided to invest in to finish off their minimalistic kitchen. Looking over Hannah's Instagram page that I've actually linked in the show notes for you all, you can see how beautiful polished concrete looks when it's paired with other raw materials like exposed brick and natural wood. But what's the difference between a polished and a burnished concrete floor? How much does it cost? And what is the process of getting it fitted? Lots of questions to get through, but I'm sure Hannah has got all of the answers for us. Hannah, tell us all about your home, your extension, and how you've renovated to date. Yeah, I'd love to. So um, we bought in 2015 what was an old Victorian house 100 years ago that had been converted into three flats. So it had been converted into three flats about 30 years prior to us buying it, but obviously had loads of potential to convert back into a house and had quite a big plot of land on the side of it. So, um, which in our area, which is quite built up, is quite unusual. I took that as quite an exciting opportunity and persuaded my husband that we should knock it back into one big house. 
house and put a two-story extension on the side, which could also sweep around the back and create quite a wide open plan living space, which um, we didn't have in our last house because it was um, a terraced house. So we started that in 2015, did a lot of the kind of the renovation of it ourselves in the end because we got some crazy quotes and ripped it all back to the land plaster and took out the land plaster as well, actually, in the end, and then started rebuilding it and then obviously commissioned a builder for the extension. So, yeah, it's been quite the journey, but we have quite a sympathetic, I I would hope now, house, um, kind of looking at the Victorian side and also more modern elements. Mm. I mean, I love the concrete kitchen that you've got laid down in that space. As you say, it's a real hybrid between being in tune with the Victorian house, but also adding some personal modern touches. So why did you choose to, to go for a concrete floor? So I think and both Nelson and I travel quite a lot and we'd seen in in some traditional houses, but also in some like quite modern hotels and houses that we'd stayed in whilst traveling, quite a lot of concrete. And I just love how kind of minimal and, and clean it looks. And it's just it's not as kind of fussy as tiles because you don't have as many seams. And it almost gives you like a big kind of marble slab type look, but without the kind of... Um, more not luxury element but the more kind of exquisite element that marble gives you it's a different look to that but it still looks very premium and I think we've just thought if we could add a more modern element to our very traditional house it would be a good juxtaposition and it has actually worked really well and it's a great talking point everybody like kind of walks into our house and is like oh what's that floor did you have any kind of reference points where you'd seen it work in a Victorian house before because I think People listening might think, oh, I don't know if I dare take the plunge because it's an expensive like product to put into the home. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. We hadn't seen it in a Victorian house. We'd seen it in, so one of our favourite hotels called Arege de Seiso, and that's up kind of north of Lisbon. It's very concrete but they also have some rooms that are quite traditional in there with big chandeliers, and they really like mix the kind of very traditional with the really modern And I think like my vision for the house, well, our vision, but it's always been kind of, we have got vintage chandeliers, but we've got like very modern sofa. You know, it's all like really mixed up. And I think that if you can try and combine just elements of all things you love in a house, like if you love concrete floor, then you should go for it. I don't think, I don't think you should be scared about the fact that it's maybe a bit too modern or a bit too industrial. Some people would also think perhaps. Because if you mix it with some softer things, like we've got quite a traditional Victorian island on the top of it, um, you know, proper table island. So so it mixes really well and it doesn't look industrial in any way. It looks actually quite um, contemporary. And what were the options that you had with things like finish and colour and how did you choose the right finish and colour for you? Yeah, so we found um, a gentleman actually to to lay the floor online um, who we checked with Trust the Trader, um, for which we used a lot during the build because we were quite new to actually building, not renovating, but building. And he basically said that you can kind of throw down stones into the concrete if you want, and you can throw down colours, or you can just use the natural colour of the soil in your area. And my, my background is all about kind of natural living and authentic kind of living. And, you know, I, I have a natural clothing line. So ultimately I wanted it to be as natural as possible so we took a bit of a risk really in so much as we said we'll go with the natural soil of Manchester but they can never guarantee the exact colour so they started pouring it and we were thinking oh my god I hope we like it don't be yellow (laughs) yeah exactly exactly because some stone is quite yellow but he thought it would be a grey brown from what he'd done in the area in the past so 
we were relatively hopeful and it's actually a, it is actually quite gray so it worked out really well with some elements of brown in it but if if you don't want to take that risk of the natural soil in your area then you can absolutely have color in it or you could have bits of stones thrown into it and make it more in line with the kind of colours of your house. So what do you mean about adding the soil in? Because I kind of thought that a poured concrete floor was already a man-made product, but you're talking about it with using the natural stones. So how, like, explain that to everybody listening and myself. Yeah, uh, so the concrete ultimately comes from stone, from soil. So comes from, uh, I don't know exactly where in, in the north our concretes come from, but it will, it does come out of the ground. The process of making the concrete is obviously not natural regarding the machinery that goes into actually making it into concrete. But the product itself is is natural. It's not it's not man-made. So that's why the colours can change so much um, in different in different regions. How expensive is it? What what are we looking at for a concrete floor? Well, obviously, I did plenty of number crunching because Nelson always tells me I always want the most expensive things. Um, so, but interestingly, if you compare it to a very premium tile, which I think you would lay in your kitchen anyway, because you're not going to lay a cheap tile. So you are looking at a quite a similar price. I checked back actually yesterday and obviously we laid ours in 2016. So it's a little while ago, um, but we paid £120 a square metre which is about the same as a tile. It's probably a bit more expensive now. We did put underfloor heating in it, though, which obviously was an additional cost. And to be totally honest, unless you're living outside of England, somewhere like Portugal, where you, you wouldn't need the underfloor heating because it's so hot most of the year. In England, if you're laying concrete, I would definitely put underfloor heating and a, put a, a water-based underfloor heating, so a traditional one, don't, not electric, because that would be super expensive. So it's a bit more to lay a water one, but, you know, the long term of running it will be considerably cheaper. And then obviously it's warm on your foot in the winter um, because otherwise it's super, super cold and not very pleasant. So you don't have any other heating in that kitchen than just the underfloor heating. There's no radiators, nothing like that. Yeah. So that was the actually that was one of the other positives for me because I don't aesthetically love radiators. We have got some very beautiful kind of cast iron radiators through the rest of the house. But the big positive was it's a very big area where the concrete is. So that's all underfloor heating. And when that's on, that really gets warm. Um, So we don't have any other radiators in that area at all. And then we've just got a, a big log fire in the lounge as well. So in the winter, we put that on too. But yeah, it's fully heated by that. So it's very efficient and it also retains the heat. So if you have the heating on for like a good few hours and then you switch it off or lower it, it retains the heat. So it is quite efficient in that respect. It just takes a little bit of time to get warm. But I mean, during the winter, you have it on most of the time because it's cold all the time in England. So Yeah. If you're having underfloor heating, does that affect the sealant that you have on the top or the finish that you have? Yeah, you have to be quite organised with it, which we found challenging because our builder was quite challenging at its best. Um, so you I feel like you're to... being very polite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't recommend him to anybody. The concrete floor layer was fabulous and I'd highly recommend him, but the builder was really challenging to work with and we did actually have to have him come back and relay the grounds because you have to have um, 15 centimetres slab um, very solid of um, kind of rubble, but but then with concrete on it. So it's really solid before your heating can be laid on top. And then on top of that, your concrete man comes in and lays the concrete. 
So not only do you need to make sure the builder's done a good job of the first layer, because if that's not solid, your concrete's going to crack everywhere and it's going to look right mess. And also you need to be very organised with where you want your electricity points and any kind of points within the concrete. Like we've got an electricity point in the middle of our island, for example. And, you know, we had to choose where we wanted that before we laid the concrete, because obviously it's in the middle of the island, so (laughs) you can't dig it up after. So, yeah, you do need to be a bit more organised and you need to make sure that really that your builder's very well prepped in advance and he knows what he's doing and that you've left enough space because ultimately you need to be about 25 centimetres below where you want the floor to finish. So if you haven't left all that gap, it's not like a tile, you need like 10 millimetres. You know, you need a lot to make it really strong because it's mainly, it will be strong very quickly, but it's mainly for cracks and you don't want it cracking because then it's going to look rubbish. No. So you had to get the builder to come back and yes. relay. Yeah. Right. So you had to get the builder to come back and dig and take a, take a load of the rubble out from the extension because he'd gone too high and then relay it with a harder core and then concrete like a not a beautiful concrete just a concrete that was solid enough to put the next one on top so yeah being organized from the beginning and knowing you want to lay it I mean we did know we wanted to lay it but he just still did it wrong um because I don't think a lot of builders are that used to doing it in the UK I think it's it's reasonably normal in other countries you'd see more concrete floors but in houses in England you don't see it that much so domestic builders probably aren't that aware of how to do it so they do need a bit of hand-holding. Do you think it is becoming more popular, though, concrete floors and concrete furniture and having that kind of aesthetic in our British homes? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because when we laid it, so many of our friends came out and we were like, what, what is that on the floor? Like, it's really unusual. It's like really kind of marbly, but it's one piece. And, and now, like, I think you see it in a lot of kind of, like, worktops and different uh, tables even. There's, like, there's so, many, there's so many things that people are using it for. And it's really durable and it's, I mean, interestingly, it's not that cheap. It's become quite expensive, but the product itself is quite cheap. You can actually make worktops if you wanted to yourself at home from it. And I I think it will become more and more popular as other things go more and more expensive as well. You know, marble and corian and granite and all these things are so expensive now. And it wears amazingly. You know, we've had it down since 2016 And it's absolutely gorgeous still. And because it's got quite a lot of marks and colours in it naturally, even if it did get a little mark, you wouldn't even notice. Really? Yeah, it's It's very kind of mottled. We absolutely love it and we definitely lay it again. Through the years, you can also have it repolished, which is the only thing. Ours isn't as shiny as it was when we first laid it. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask you about maintenance and upkeep. So you you can get it repolished. Yeah, yeah. So also, it's quite fortunate that our island in the kitchen is also um, movable if we wanted it to be. So so you could you could move the island out and then polish the whole lot. They bring what looks like kind of a big lawnmower with like these like um, nice little things on the bottom which like spin round, and that's what you polished it with initially, and then it goes very shiny. So um, I don't love it when it's super shiny. I like it when it's toned down a little. So. but it is, it is nice because it all looks, it'll all look new again. Yeah. I mean, is it so strong that if you dropped anything on the floor, it would smash sort of thing? It'd smash my favourite mug. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does, definitely does smash. But equally, if you drop, say, a knife on the floor, you might, it, depending on how sharp the knife went in, you might actually go slightly into the concrete as well. So it's, it's not like it's un- not chippable. I think you could chip it. 
but it's it's just very hard. Um, and I think that's the thing with people and on their feet. Like I wear slippers in the house all the time, but if you don't, it's not like, you know, carpet's so soft, isn't it, on your feet and you feel all cosy. Like it is not that feel at all. It's a much, it's a much cooler feel on your foot. But I mean, that doesn't bother me. And we've got wood through the rest of the house anyway. So that's pretty hard too. So that's quite interesting that you've got different textures running through Mm. the house. So where does the concrete end and then the wood start? In what was the initial house that we, before we extended, that's now our dining room and lounge. So that's all the old pine Victorian wood, which actually we've painted white. So that's quite clean now. And then all of the extension bits, all the kitchen and the back of the house is all the concrete so it kind of like sits around the wood if you like which is quite nice if anybody's thinking about having a concrete floor in their house what is the process that you can guide them with well I definitely start finding someone who's going to lay it quite early because actually they're going to give you a tip box of all the things you need to do along the way i.e make sure the builders put down the 10 centimeter deep bottom bit do you want underfloor heating or not they'll probably do the underfloor heating for you as well I would recommend doing that we had the same guy do it all and at least it was all his responsibility where did you find the person we found him online interestingly so this was obviously 2015 when we started looking there wasn't loads of choice so we we worked with a guy from Birmingham and he basically quoted us online when I told him the size of the space and then we went to his warehouse and we looked at some of the things that he'd done in the past but he well I couldn't obviously I mustn't have been able to find anyone in Manchester but I'm sure there must be people in Manchester now and then we just checked him out on Checker Trader and it's interesting when you're working with people like in builders and electricians because actually a lot of it is just about how quickly they reply and how efficient they are because some of them are so bad that you just think well I can't work with you because you haven't replied for like two weeks so so some of the decision making goes down to that it's as simple as like you know, have you actually given me a quote? Um, and then we, ch- yeah, we checked him on Checker Trader. I love Checker Trader. I, d- I think that if you're doing something that you'd have never done before, then I- ideally ask someone who you know, but we didn't know anyone who had concrete floor laid. Um, so Checker Trader was was definitely good for that. And so you got your quote, you're happy with the quote that you've got. You then speak to your builder and tell them, this is what I'm doing and this is the finish on the floor. Do you manage that relationship or does this, the builder manage the relationship with the, the whoever's pouring the well, concrete? In an in an ideal world, I'd say the builder should speak to the concrete man. But we tried that and that's where he actually didn't do the bottom bit correctly because we said it would be better if you were briefed off him because, you know, we don't really know. All we know is we want it to look nice at the end. So in the end, we did have to get involved. In an ideal world, you want to cut out as many as many people as possible along the chain don't you so really you get your builder to speak to them and um, it's not very hard what you need the builder to do if he knows whilst he's doing the build because obviously they're building from the ground up so he just stops earlier but if they haven't been correctly briefed or they haven't understood what they have to do um, or they just think they know best which was our problem actually then then they go up too high so because really the, the more solid the foundation the less likely you've got of any cracks or any problems going forward. So, you know, if anything, you want to leave more space rather than less. And what was the fitting process? Did you have to move out of the house? How long did it take to set? Was it really messy? (laughs) Well, we're slightly balmy. So we bought the house in 2015 and by, by the September... We'd done a lot of the renovations on the actual old part of the house and our builder was being quite unreliable. 
because we weren't living in the house up until the September, but we ended up moving in so that we could be there and actually like in the morning, make sure we turned up and that kind of thing. So we ended up living in the house whilst the concrete was being poured because we were living on the top floor in what was in essence like a flat really, because it was a flat when we bought the house anyway. It just didn't have a kitchen up there anymore, but we just kind of ate out every day. So yes, we were in the house. Uh, Obviously you can't stand on it for at least a week after and you can't really do anything on it with proper hard labour kitchen or anything like that until a month. So ideally you probably don't want to really be there but we weren't really using that space of the house anyway at that point because we were just living within other rooms and they they do put a sheet over it so that it protects it from the dust and things as well so it's about a month from beginning to end and then at at the month mark he comes and polishes it and then you can walk on it straight away after that um and have your kitchen laid and things so so you do need to add a bit more time than you would for tiles because tiles obviously they lay them and the next day you're walking on them it's not quite like that. And they do recommend to make sure you do leave it for a month, ideally, so that it's like fully solid. Do you have concrete anywhere else in the house or just the kitchen? No, we don't at the moment, but I am finally convinced Nelson to do like an outdoor kitchen area and we're going to have a concrete like top on that and quite like industrial outside. So I think that will look amazing. And is that all weatherproof concrete outside? Yes. Yeah. So I think it's a really good option for an outdoor kitchen area like the worktop and, you know, kind of any units you want outside. Because initially we were thinking of doing kind of like um, a rendered type look, but we have the back of the house is fully rendered and it already is starting to get a bit like kind of peeling off and dirty at points because of the English weather. So I think concrete is a better option really because it's so weatherproof. It's amazing. Are you going to find someone to pour that then? Like you said, the worktops that you pour in blocks. Yes, yes. So we've actually got a guy who's a gardener, but he also does quite um, amazing installations like for the flower show in London and things like that, where he does more than just the flowers. And so he's going to actually create it in the garden and make like the slab of the worktop and make the sides and everything there in uh, exactly what you say, basically in um, in moulds really, which he'll make himself with wood and then pour it in. So, which is also better to do it there because it's super heavy, obviously, once you've got like a big worktop slab done. Um, so if you can make it nearer where you need it, it's, uh, it's, it's easier. How do you lift that big bit of concrete up when you yes. have to, <laughs> yeah. to worktop? He said he's done, he said he's done some before, so I'm reasonably confident it's going to be fine. But let's see. Oh. I'll, let, I'll let you know. Yeah, can't wait to see that. Sounds amazing. For anyone who's considering a concrete floor, what are the positives in your experiences and any challenges that you found with it? Well, definitely the positives are that it's very durable. It looks really lovely. I like the fact that it's really low maintenance and it and we haven't we've got one tiny crack. But then if I think about our kind of toilet upstairs, for example, which is a marble floor, that's actually got more cracks in it in the marble than our our concrete has it's really nice on the foot as well because we've got in the for heating so it's super warm and then in the summer it's nice and cool on your foot obviously that might also be a con if you don't like <laughs> to be on colder floors or warmer floors and I think I think if you're used to kind of a very traditionally English cozy house it's much more of a kind of cooler looked look and feel I mean I'd I'd definitely lay it again and if we had a house that had more hard floor, because under our, the rest of our house, we've got like basements and different things. So we couldn't have put it anywhere else. I'd put it in other places too, because I just think it's really nice. 
I'm not sure if you guys actually know this, but I do have a polished concrete floor in my basement. I really wanted the room to feel more industrial and quite stripped back. So the ceiling is raw concrete and the floor is a polished concrete that we actually had underfloor heating on. And I've tried to make it a bit more homely and cozy by layering some rugs. Now I've got these kind of checkerboard rugs from Nordic Knots, which I love. It's really slippy, so maybe not that practical, but I have to say aesthetically, it's a really beautiful choice. My next guest, Andy Pedley, founded The Poured Project, a specialist concrete company that creates stunning basins, splashbacks, and worktops because concrete is not only for floors. It's perceived to be a material without much detail, but in fact, every piece has its own individual finish and looks really swanky when you add a splash of colour to it. I can't wait to dive into how we can get creative with concrete and what the process is when making, fitting, and taking care of it is. Andy, it's always great to speak to a fellow Yorkshire person. Where where are you today? I'm in Nottingley in West Yorkshire. And this is really embarrassing, but I'm from West Yorkshire and I've never even heard of this place. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a little mining town, which is 15, 10, 15 minutes from Pontefract and maybe 20 minutes from Selby, sort of stuck in between and the little countryside. Very peaceful place. And clearly the hub of all things concrete, as, as we're all finding out now. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, concrete's going crazy at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, let's start off at the beginning. How did you even get into the trade of concrete? I've been very lucky to uh, be working in the traditional skills in the furniture making and um, anti-restoration beforehand. So I always really enjoyed the technical, more technical side of things. And about five, six years ago, I was working for a guy who owned Burton May. And he had a selection of concrete basins that he'd been uh, advertising. After a bit of a discussion, I said that I could easily make you some of these if you wanted. And we kind of ended up going from there. In the ball road, we did a few basins, which really took off. Um, and then headed into all the other side of things with the worktops and furniture, really. And now my life is completely consumed with concrete. <laughs> well, it has really gone from strength to strength literally it was something that we found on floors and now as you say we are looking to make our concrete into all sorts of things from showers to baths basins um why do you think it's so on trend and how has it happened two things i think that the the investment that's gone into concrete so the concrete that we see nowadays is very very different to the concrete that you get on your your sort of driveway or on your footings outside. So a lot of time, or should we say, gone into the developing of the concrete being a lot more denser and a lot more sort of forgiving. It's a lot better material than it has been in the past. Um, and it's some kind of cool. I think it looks really natural when it's put in the right scenes with other materials, you know, natural claddings. Um, it can go with any sort of style, to be honest. If you, and the versatility of it as well, which brings it into, you can have it kind of, anywhere in any shape, um, which opens a lot of avenues for you. I mean, like you say, I think we think of concrete in one of those big mixers that comes in a packet of dust that we've got to add a lot of water to it. And um, it's very yeah. heavy. So who decided to adapt it into something a lot more of a flexible material? Well, actually, it depends how far you want to go back. I think it originates from Russia many years. I think it was back in the 
I, I, I won't be telling any dates because you'll be uh, someone will be digging out there and finding them wrong. But <laughs> at least thirty-five years ago, um, I think it was developed in Russia. Didn't really take off. Ended up heading to America, and obviously went wild in America and Australia. And as of all things, it takes a bit of time to come from America. But then we obviously comes over to our shores and we take up that same kind of. But yeah, so the additives and like you said, the mix, the concrete now has actually got flexure strengths and compressive strengths that's not been heard of really in the industry before. So it does bring it into a lot more robust. And then obviously when it starts, then everybody gets on the bandwagon and everybody's experimenting and, and trying different additives and trying to the concrete even now is getting better and better and better. I mean, how versatile and creative can you be with concrete? Well, as long as you um, can imagine it, really, you can kind of make it. Obviously, the more technical kind of things, big part depends on your mould. The mould is the critical part. The, obviously, the concrete, when you've got your mix and you know your concrete's brilliant, um, then it's all to do with how good your mould is. The better your mould, the better finish, but then, obviously... It's becomes can become a lot more technical and more complicated, but the end result, um, you can make them a lot uh, thinner, which makes them lighter and makes them. Um, so, like I said, it has more flexibility, flexure to it, so it's not going to crack, and it's got many additives and stuff in there to to sort of to resist the cracking. We've done island tops with built-in sinks at two point five meters by two meters, um, with a one meter by three hundred sink on it, so. You know, in the old days, you'd dream of making something like that. Even there's not really any material out there that you could do these kind of things with. So, yeah, it's really your imaginations are sort of the limit of what you really want. So you need a mould, though, don't you, as you said, that you can pretty much do any shape, whether it's a sink or a worktop, but you need a mould. So how how would you go about getting a mould? Is that something that the supplier would do for you? Depending on what we're doing. If we're doing, say, if we're going down on the on the worktops, that would be a, a lot simpler because we'd be making our own moulds. We make everything ourselves. We are probably one of the only companies in the industry that does everything by hand. We make all the moulds, all the original moulds. So I make, if we wanted a basin, I have to make the basin out of the timber first. So I make the, everything for, so we can see if, what, you know, if it fits in what we, we want. Um, and then we have to then go and make the mould from that basin and then when the mould's good enough then we can then use that to pour the concrete into it uh, but yeah we the thing about the specialist concrete companies we have to make all of the mouldings um, a lot of places are made buy them in or buy them 3d printed cnc'd or you can actually buy a generic kind of pre-made sort of fiber class plastic basins which you can use for your moulds um, but we make a point of doing every single thing by hand so which really opens it up so we've never said no to a job on any technical, you know, no matter how technical it is, we've always said the big, the thing that will increase is the labour and the time, which obviously increases the price of something. But yeah, really, if you're doing the worktops, it's easier because you're generally on the flatter surface, but then you have the the manoeuvring them, which is then the issue. And the larger you do, then that obviously incurs more issues and more people to move more chance of fracturing, cracking, and obviously the risk go up massively um, and it does all fall down onto us. So we can't then, obviously, if we if we deliver something and it does crack even after a few weeks, not that we have that problem, but it's something that we have to rectify ourselves and a cost to ourselves as well, really. But yeah, it's, 
it was everything. It's all very, very labour intensive is the uh, concrete side. For anybody thinking big with their concrete dreams, what is the most technical mould you've ever made? The most technical is probably my bathtub because a lot of the bathtubs that are sort of out there obviously want to be very different. So we always want to try and make as different to everybody else's. But I've never seen a slender bath, as in the actual wall thicknesses of the bath. Um, we have done them to 20, well, basically an inch thick. So it makes them extremely, uh, a very kind of cool looking bath and quite an elegant thing, but extremely technical um, to get the inside of the bath off. But doing this, it has given us new experience, or new uh, skills on how to remove, which is a really big thing. Um, it can take up to a day to remove some of the moulds from the concrete forms. But as of this bath, which is extremely technical, we've reduced all of the hours of the sort of... And reducing the hours, but it's reducing the stress on the actual form inside, the, you know, the, the bath itself. Because obviously, removing it out of the form, you've got to be delicate. Too much pressure can then obviously flex or crack the bath itself. I mean, that sounds heavy how do you even get that into somebody's house when you've made them a concrete bath is that a crane sort of situation well the other thing with the bath we also wanted to make it a lot lighter than the normal but yes you would have to look at getting a crane on any concrete item that is over a certain amount of weight um and it's more access we did do an install of a four 350 kilo top the other week in the center of london uh, by hand and it was extremely difficult it was done the other development of the bath we wanted to make it as light as possible which means when i said we've made these sides so slender so we've reduced the bath which normally would be around a 300 kilo bath round to about 120 kilos so it's actually lighter than a cast iron bath that a lot of houses originally had but yeah you need uh strong blokes and uh, a good technical brain as well because a lot of it is more the way you shift it rather than actually physically lifting it. So you've got like your baths, your worktops, your basins. What is the wackiest piece of concrete furniture that you've seen? Would a sofa be really far-fetched? I don't think it'd be very comfortable. No, it wouldn't. No, actually, it isn't that far-fetched. It's, as long as you make it ergonomic so it's comfortable to sit on, then I can't see there being a, a problem with any of it. We are looking at doing dog baths, actually. That would be something which would be kind of wacky we don't put dog baths dog beds sorry we do have done dog baths but i'm looking at developing a dog bed an indestructible dog bed but comfortable for dogs that is absolutely amazing. but that's the thing there's so many uh, so many things i'm sure I've, I've seen i have seen a concrete sofa actually come to think of it i think someone did it for some artwork and it looked it did look quite incredible because it was quite a, a fat you know it looked a very comfortable sofa but obviously would have no give in it whatsoever. What colours can you use with concrete? Are you quite restricted in any way or can you colour match like you can with paint? We do colour match, yes. So um, you've always got to go within a shade. You can, it's very rarely you can get the exact shade um, with the, the concrete um, to what you're matching. But we've done many colour matches to, we basically get card samples with a, quite well-known um, paint colours and we've had actually very good results so near enough any colour any colour um, except for the metallics are a little bit more awkward which can be done but um, yeah any colour the, the pinks and the dark greens are extremely popular 
and black. Black is very popular at the moment. Because I've got bowel work pain in my kitchen, which is a lime wash. I think I saw on your Instagram that you use quite a lot of their colours. Is that because of a lime wash kind of pigmentation? I think it's more just to what the customer's using on their um, property or project, should I say. I mean, we've done it for them, also the little green paint company. So um, I think it's more the the natural tones that you'd be heading for. Obviously, you're going for the gloss in, the gloss stuff like that. I mean, with the reflectiveness, it's quite awkward. But anything kind of a satin or matte, um, which, like you said, with them companies, uh, we've done very good uh, matches, yeah. A lot of the time, what I find is nice is to either have a plain background with a bit of colour or um, a very colourful scheme with uh, more of a mellow sort of plain, you know, traditional concrete rather than putting lots of colour in there. Although that's the thing, you can do anything. It's up to yourself, really, for your choice. Yeah. What is the biggest misconception about using concrete in the home? Maybe that it is indestructible. Um, as some people think, you know, the word concrete, people think they Means may... It's concrete? Yeah, yeah, but it may it may take a more abuse than... Because um, at the end of the day, concrete, what people don't realise, even the, the densest of concrete that we can produce, is, if you zoom into it, it's like a um, sponge under the microscope. So it needs some sort of sealing. And that this is where a lot of problems can be can come in the concrete not so much with the concrete but with the sealer itself and people think that they can just use it and abuse it without looking you know you've really got to look after it's like if you have a car you know the more you look after it the longer it'll last it's if you get in there and abuse it and don't wipe look after you know it's the same thing concrete will mark and people may think it lasts that's when it's installed it will get patina over time even when you've explained it to some clients I'm realising now that you've got there are some certain clients that actually don't want concrete. They think they do, but they don't want the kind of... It's not a lot of maintenance, You but it's, you've just got to care. You know, you've got to wipe up, you've got to not be chopping on there, you've got to use chopping boards, use pan covers, anything like that. But although we do have customers who want that and they actively try and mark it as much as possible to get the patina. And also, the other thing, uh, cheap. Every, a lot of people think because it's concrete it is very cheap so if you're getting like a cubic meter of concrete from the concrete company you'd maybe 200 pounds and we'd we'd be talking about two to three thousand pounds for the same amount of material plus so yeah it's it's definitely something to add to the home but it's not a cheap it's not something to be cheap if people start doing the cheap concrete then you end up with a lot of problems and a lot of um, probably removing it in the long run. Do you have to be careful then about the concrete that you're using on a work surface? If you're going to be, I mean, as you said, it's not advisable to be chopping your vegetables on there because you're going to mark it. But does it have to comply to safety laws because you will be putting food and drink on it? I mean, with all things, you know, we use a food safe sealer. Um, our concrete obviously is kind of inert when it's, there's no, no problem with the concrete. Um, if it's not sealed, I suppose you could get the buildup of bacteria in the surface, but obviously we can't say that with ours because all ours are sealed. What I would say, anyone who's wanting worktops in their kitchen, and this is from having quite a few years of experience, that if you are very busy, don't have much time to kind of wipe up after yourself, not saying messy, but you know, the general like busy family, the concrete worktops 
may not be the best option for yourself because of the the sort of you you do want to wipe up the standing water you want to take off the acids from the the limes and the ketchups so if you're a little bit busy and you you know obviously we have many clients who very rarely use the kitchens um or if they do they're, they're kind of really sort of well versed in keeping it very very clean and tidy and not a lot of things on the tops there's a lot of maintenance that aftercare wants to go with them you talked a little bit about um ceiling i have a bit of experience with that because i've got some vintage tiled floors that required quite a lot of ceiling and they're still quite difficult to clean how many layers do you talk about having when you're doing something like a kitchen surface without it looking glossy there's many many different lacquers out there um which all portray different benefits it's, it's a very hard thing there's nothing really out there which is bulletproof or concrete as we say um to sealing the top you need to let the the concrete needs to breathe if, especially if you're on a rushed install and you've installed and haven't had time for the concrete to fully cure, which is a 30-day-plus curing process, then obviously you're going to have evaporation. So if you go on and put an epoxy on there, which will look very plasticky, the pressure that gets built up behind it will force off and you will start getting a chipping appealing of the lacquer. So then you could go, um, you need to have sort of the best of both worlds so you don't want to fully, completely cover it because you want it to breathe. Even over the next 20 years, it's going to produce more little capillaries as it dries out. It's constantly getting harder and stronger. But that'll produce tiny little ways just for this moisture to get in. So how does that work then if you've got a basin and you are wanting that piece of concrete to be watertight? If it's porous, I don't. how does that work? The lacquer allows the water vapour to pass. So on certain lacquers, we're actually developing, we've almost at the very end and we've got, we're actually like, we kind of use two lacquers and we've actually got to the point where it is breathable, but water does not pass, which is kind of like the golden thing. So very, very soon, all our products will be getting changed to this new way. At the moment, we use a breathable polyurethane. So it seals, it seals the surface, which stops the passage of water. But with a basin, you generally don't fill up the basin with water and have standing water in there. So when you're just using it to wash your hands, it's, there's never enough water that will actively get through the lacquer into your basin. And if it does, if you scratch the lacquer, this is the point. If you get anyone drops anything into the basin, it scratches. You need that moisture that gets through to come back out. Like I said, that this is the thing. There's no real until what I said. We've got our developed, and I do think our new developed sealer is actually going to cover all these problems. But yeah, if you seal it in, you've got the big problem of delaminating with the sealer. Oh my goodness, it's quite complicated, isn't it? Um, Sorry, what... yeah, uh, very com- it can be very complicated. And we put additives into the concrete, which also reduces the porosity of the concrete itself. But like I said, with new one we've got, because obviously we've had to develop it for the bath, because in the bath, you're going to be soaking in the bathtub and you don't want to be having issues then. And we feel now that we have uh, developed a very good sealer, which we, I don't know, we have discussed, I'm not actually, we're not continuing doing the worktops actually in the concrete. Oh, really? Know. What? So you're just going to do the kind of the, the, the concrete furniture and the basins rather than the worktops? Yes, there's many companies out there which are getting very competitive on the price, which means we're going to go down to uh, an area where we can't give a, a proper guarantee. Um, and also... Our company thrives on the very technical aspects of things. 
and we've got this that many projects with the the bath and uh, obviously you have the special painting that hopefully is coming through for the bath. Uh, we want to focus on the areas where we excel in, and in bespoke and basins, we really do excel. Mm, that makes sense. What is the difference between cement and micro cement? Well, cement is an additive that you put into uh, to make form concrete. Concrete is actually just a collection of many pa- things in together. The cement isn't actually um, give it its name of concrete. It's the adding of all things. Um, but the micro cement is more of a like a polymer modified. So it's it's got um, better properties of we've held in stains. But then obviously when you're uh, don't get me wrong, lay them onto the walls. They give a really, really good look, finish, easy to clean. To me, they don't have the, the actual naturalness of concrete. They do have a very little, slightly fake, if you know what I mean. They're, and they do have problems with the chipping. There is a lot of problems with the, the chippings and things um, if it's not installed properly. But if you get a good good installer, there's many out there, um, yeah, you can get... The, the price of it would be a lot more reduced as well than it would be for physically doing it in a concrete. Also, you can go up on the walls with the micro-cement. Um, it's the kind of the new thing is the micro-cement. It's just plaster. Basically, it's like a plaster, a robust plaster, which gives you the, very, the, the effects of concrete. I have a um, poured concrete floor with underfloor heating in my house. Uh, that's something that you're not doing anymore, is it? Is that kind of the same reason as you, t- as you talked about with the worktops? Yeah, um, there's a lot of specialists out there as well who obviously the, on the pouring on the floor in situ is taking people a lot taking us away from the workshops um so there's many companies out there who specialize in site uh where they they understand and there's a lot of complications with the subfloors and the technicalities of you know building regs and things like that it's kind of, and the, the equipment as well it's an area that we've just held back on because i feel like we we couldn't uh, bring much to the table on that thing really on this out of concrete floors I think people think of concrete as quite a specialist area, but actually within concrete, there's specialisms, as we've talked about, there's the worktops, there's the furniture, there's the floors. So is it worth people finding the specialists within concrete to make sure that they get the right tradesman for their project? Definitely, yes. I think that if you're if you've got a small, very small project and you've got um, little bits here and there, a bit on the floor, some worktops, then yes, I definitely look for the companies that have proven themselves um, producing a good quality finish. And like you said, when you we like ourselves, when you have companies focusing more on the as we're focusing more on the the bathtubs and the sinks, the problems are a lot less. You know that we've sort of come over the problems. We know how to get around the problems um, where. Like I said, back to the the floor installers, they need uh, really the power floats. There's a lot of equipment you need and a a lot of experience. It is a a, a different side, even though, like I said, it's concrete. It's a different process and different skill base, which we do have. But when you, as you know, with any company, they focus on it more. They have a a much better end product service and actually it becomes a better pricing as well because you're not having to have all kinds of materials and machines and you know finally if people have got a small space and they're thinking about introducing some concrete at an entry level with a basin what is the best environment for that downstairs little toilets um you know the sort of downstairs toilet or um if they've got a little cloak room or a little hot you know something like that that's 
because people can experiment. I think in this, not so much. No, I think it's definitely changing. But people were really scared, especially a couple of years ago, to to add the colourful basin or a concrete basin into the into the house. Although they've been probably wanting for a long time. Yeah, I think somewhere like in a little cloak room or something like that, you can see it, you can use it, and you can get used to it. It's not going to get too much abuse, and obviously the cost isn't going to be too much. But back to the worktops, what I found. What I would recommend if someone came to us for worktops, I would re- maybe recommend them having man-made worktop on the area they use most and having a small element of concrete worktop, maybe on a sideboard or somewhere in the kitchen, but which doesn't get as much hammer or as much usage as it would do on the main area. Yeah. How long can you expect your concrete basin to last? And when will we start seeing signs of wear and tear? Well, on the actual concrete itself, I'm hoping that it will be when I'm I'm basically not on this planet anymore. I expect it to be quite a few decades for the concrete to last, definitely. The sealer, again, it's a big part of the sealer if it's had a good sealer. Some sealers that can last a good five to ten years. Um, and there's other sealers I've seen fail within a few months. Some's to do with the environment, but a lot of it's to do with the actual sealer itself. So if people do have a concrete basin, the most important thing to do is make sure that you have a great sealer and that it's really well looked after. And that way you'll have longevity with this piece. Yes, 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 yes. I think that's I think that's perfect. We've got so like we've got so many bits and pieces and it's really um I think it's really important for people to understand the pros and the cons. And I think that you haven't like given us any false pretenses, which people really appreciate. The, the biggest thing is I've got a couple of customers that kind of didn't understand the concrete had approached us through our website um, and we'd given them the full spiel of, are you sure? Yes, yes, we definitely want it. It's not what they wanted. You know, they expect it to be as perfect. It's two years gone, three, maybe yeah, two years gone now. And they, they can't understand how it's not identical to the day they bought it. It's very hard and it's very hard to tell a customer that I don't have hidden cameras in her, you know, her kitchen, so I can't say what the maintenance schedule she's chosen. But um, she's definitely been chopping her items up on the worktop. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I really do urge you guys to go and have a look at some of the poor project's work. It's amazing. We'll put a link in the show notes. But remember, concrete isn't indestructible like we all might have thought, and it does need some TLC. A huge thanks again to Wix for sponsoring the podcast. And remember to visit wix.co.uk for all your DIY needs. Now, next week, it is all about garden sheds. I'm very excited. I'm not talking about getting stuck into the nitty gritty of where your lawnmower should go. Oh, no. I'm going to be chatting to the owner of some brilliant shed-turned-summer houses and we'll find out how to decorate and add bespoke features to a flat-pack outhouse. For interiors inspiration, make sure you check out our Instagram page at So How Do You Podcast. And you can check out all of our other episodes, Series 1 and Series 2, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening as ever. I'm Laura Jackson, and that's how you do concrete at home.